I clobbered at the beginning of the service to make a paper aeroplane. Steve, I think, did you, have you had a chance to make a paper aeroplane yet? He, oh my goodness. You were supposed to, that's kind of like Boeing, that. Whoa. I was about to say, where do you want it to go, Steve? Straight line. Excellent. Karis, you got one there, I think. Where, where, where do you want it to go? Where do you want your paper aeroplane to head? Just tell me wherever. Where, where do you think, if you chuck it, where's it going to go? Right, so we're, we're going to aim to hit Ben, yeah? That's the idea. Okay, so try and hit Ben, see how we go. Whoa! Come on! That is a paper aeroplane. And it's a good job you're wearing glasses, really, isn't it? Cause <laughs> Was there another one somewhere? Oh, Daisy, Daisy made one, didn't she? Oh, no, Ivy made one. Come on, let's, let's have Ivy's plane. Where, where do you reckon, David, that's going to head for? Towards me. Come on, then. Come on, then. Whoa! Not bad. Not bad. We reckon that paper aeroplanes should fly. I don't even have to make one, because those are awesome. Thank you for making paper aeroplanes. We kind of think, yeah, a, a paper aeroplane should fly. And we've got an idea of where the paper aeroplane should go. And we can take all sorts of care over it. I love the design of yours, Steve. It was, it was very kind of um, paper, uh, very plane-like. It looked good. We can design our planes, and they should do exactly what we think. But how often do they work like carousels? How often do they go exactly where we want them to go? I wonder, in our world, that is so wonderfully made and explainable, by science. There is so much that we can understand about science. I think, John, aren't you in the aviation business? Yeah, so you would probably be able to teach us a thing or two about aviation indeed. And we could understand a little bit about why a plane doesn't just go to the ground. Because we, we understand certain laws of, of physics and stuff that goes over my head. But there are wonderful people who understand our world and seek to explain it and do so many good things to help us. But I wonder, do we sometimes think about prayer in the way that we think about a paper aeroplane? We make it, we know where we want it to go, we know what wants it to happen, and we're going to jolly well make it happen. But actually, what happens so often with a paper aeroplane is it ends up in a rather different place to where we were expecting it. And we can't tell why. As we look at this passage today, it kind of breaks down into a few little sections. The first little bit, people arrive in, in, um, in Philippi. So they've made it into what we now look at as Europe. And it's a very interesting little aside, but have you noticed that in verse um, 10 and verse 11, 
the way that this passage is narrated. Suddenly, looking in verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea. Suddenly, Luke is involved. He's actually part of the team now. Because even at the beginning, when they, they set out to Derby and Lystra, it doesn't seem like Paul, uh, Luke, the writer of the, the Acts of the Apostles, was there. But suddenly, it's really cool. Luke was there. We put out to sea. And so for a period of time, the author of, of this book appears to have been journeying. And I love that. It's just a little detail, but it's ever so cool. So we have, in that first little bit, the intrepid missionaries going to a new place, and they go to pray, and they go and they see people saved for Jesus, giving their lives to the Lord, hearing the gospel, and turning to Jesus. Then, there's a real persecution turns up. Stuff is going on in the spiritual realm that that really is not very comfortable. And Paul ends up in prison with Silas. But they are held in God's hands. And actually, out of that time of desperation, can you imagine sitting shackled in a cell? I mean, even a modern day British prison cell, I don't think would be pleasant. But a 2,000 years ago kind of ancient Near Eastern prison, I think would be pretty unpleasant. They were stuck there, but they praised God. And then the thing I love about this passage is it comes back to Lydia, that convert in Philippi, and it kind of almost bookends. It starts there and it ends there, and there's a whole lot of stuff goes on in the middle. So looking just at, at, at that first little bit, verse 13, the, the important thing that they did was they went to find somewhere to pray. They went to spend some time with God specifically and intentionally. Don't know where that place was. Don't know why they went out of the city gates to do it. Don't know, I don't know anything about it. But they went expecting to find a place to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes there are just places that are easier to pray in. I love the coast. Somehow just makes you want to worship. Actually, so much of the countryside around here makes you just want to cry out to God in worship and and, and pray. Don't know why they went out of the city, but that's what they did. But in the process of that, they got the opportunity to share the gospel. And Lydia comes to believe in Jesus. And not just that, but her whole household hear the gospel and turn to Jesus and are baptised. That's a pretty amazing little few verses. And to be fair, we probably could spend a whole sermon just on those few verses. But I wanted us to look at the sort of stream of what's going on in these verses and what goes on when we pray. It has to be said, you could feel a little bit inadequate when we spend our time praying for folks that we know, folks that we love, folks that we would love to see come to know Jesus as their personal friend, their Lord and Saviour. And we pray and we pray and that doesn't seem to happen and yet here it seems to happen pretty quickly. Or maybe 
if we're honest, we never quite get around to fervently praying for our friends and we just feel guilty about it and nothing seems to happen. But here, in verse 15, it happens and it's amazing. She and the members of her household were baptised and she invited us to her home. Maybe we start to go down the, the scientific road of, okay, right, so-and-so is not, not responding to the gospel, so it must be something to do with the way that I'm making my paper aeroplane. I'm not doing it right. I need to go and find somebody who seems to know what it is about prayer and get some advice. Now, that's fine. It's great that we rely on one another and ask one another, how do you pray? The disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So you might well have a queue of people afterwards saying, Caris, how do you make your paper aeroplanes? They are awesome. And there's nothing wrong with that. But actually, prayer is not a scientific, precise pursuit. If I just pray harder... If I can just pray better. So and so, he seems to pray prayers that last for three and a half hours. That must be the way to pray. No. Doesn't matter if your prayer lasts for three and a half hours or three milliseconds. That's not the point. The point is your heart. But we can get into that kind of, what if only I do it better? If only I can make my thing fly, then maybe I need a lesson from Karis on how to make a paper aeroplane. Then maybe it will work. Now perhaps you're really encouraged at the moment and you feel that there have been answers to prayer. And actually if we've got time and I'm conscious that maybe we won't have a lot of time at the end of this, but maybe there'll be time just to share some encouragement with others. Maybe that's about doing that over coffee and saying, do you know what, this week, you never guess what happened, this month, looking back on last year, just see God has been at work in that way. Share with one another, please. But there is a reality, isn't there? That sometimes we do wonder what's going on when we pray. Because life just seems to be so difficult wanted to share a little song with you, um, which Steve is going to play over the screen. I, I just, um, I think I heard it uh, whilst it was playing in the cafe when I was serving on Thursday morning, actually, and it just kind of chimed with me that this actually is a really helpful song to think about as we ask the question, what happens when we pray? It's by a lady called Laura Story, and I think it's called Blessings, and... Uh, here we go. Yeah. 
Some of you might be familiar with that song, some of you may never have heard it, but I just thought there was something quite uh, helpful in those words. And I just wanted to take a few minutes to affirm a few things about prayer and what happens when we pray. The first one's not from this passage, but the others are. The first one is dead simple. See, God wants us, really wants us, to pray, to talk to him, to listen to him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, not if, when you pray. It's kind of obvious, but it's important because prayer is an expression of our relationship, speaking and listening to our Heavenly Father. That's why it is so good to commit together to do something about being in relationship with God and in relationship with one another by praying specifically each month. So that's the first thing, dead straightforward, obvious but ever so important. God wants us to pray. Second thing that comes in this passage, if we look at verses 16 to 18, prayer often affects the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm, as well as the physical, is a reality. What we can see, touch, smell, hear, all those senses are absolutely real, but our spiritual existence is also a reality. And it's not to be messed with. Don't know if you heard, but, but one of the most popular games that was given this Christmas was a game called Ouija. Spin-off from the film Ouija, Ouija. People thinking that it's okay to play with the spiritual world, as if it's a game. Please hear me that it is not a game. And I'm sure you don't really need me to tell you that, but, but we need to be aware that the, the spiritual realm is a reality. And actually we see in this passage that, that Satan really hates to see people at work to oppose him. People at work for Jesus. And here we see a girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she was basically held in captivity. She was basically held in slavery and was being used to earn money for her captors, for her masters or mistress. And she was able to speak into the future. But this, this girl, as she met with people filled with the Holy Spirit, she sees them and says, these men are servants of the Most High God. And I love this. He kind of, Paul puts up with it for a few days and then eventually he says, come on, we're going to sort this out. And he, he, he cries out to God and commands in the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, at your name, the mountains shake and crumble. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. The spiritual realm is real. And we have victory over sin 
and Satan and all his powers and principalities. We do need to wear the armour of God, Ephesians chapter 6. Because actually Satan does want to trip us up, does want to discourage us. He's quite happy for us just to be kind of put off track by being apathetic. But when we're active, he'll also want to discourage us. And kind of linked in to this is that actually there will be opposition. See verses 19 to 24, when, when Jesus' name has been proclaimed and the Spirit has been sent away. The people that are making the money are not happy. And they come after Paul and Silas and this band of Jesus followers. And they stir up trouble. Prayerful people who are treated unfairly, persecuted. They wind up in prison. And let's not, let's not kind of, what's the word? Soften that. That must have been horrible. To end up in a prison, ridiculed, no provision made, just chained and bound having been beaten and stripped and humiliated and severely flogged. Severely flogged. Broken flesh. No creams or antibiotics to put on that. What is their response, Paul and Silas? I am sure that they would have been in pain, agony, I am sure that they would have been ticked off. How dare they? I am sure that they would have been, oh my goodness, what? What are we going to do? I'm sure because they're human that they would have felt all of those things that you and I would have felt. They're not super Christians that wear their pants on the outside of their trousers. They're ordinary people. But their response was to worship and to pray. I'm sure they would have been asking God to keep them safe. Maybe even asking God to secure their release. But they were also simply praising him. Worshipping him. Sitting in his presence. And I think that's the key to what's happening when we pray. See, when we pray, we put ourselves, our lives, our world, into God's hands. We say, Lord, here you are. We trust you. Father, I place into your hands the things I cannot do prayed before the service, actually, Father, we place into your hands the things we can do, but actually, we need you to help us to do them all the same. Prayer is, I suppose there's an image that I might have shared with you before, it's it's a little bit like a boat. A boat that is, is trying to get to shore. If we are the boat and God is the shore, prayer is a little bit like us throwing a line to shore and pulling on the line to get to shore. 
When we're praying, we're pulling ourselves towards God. We're the ones that need to come into his world. Often we think that actually when we're praying, we're pulling God into our world. Come on, you've got to do what I want you to do, Lord. And actually sometimes that's like an an anchor thrown down in the boat and we're pulling and we're pulling and we we want God to do this, we want God to do this and, and the anchor doesn't seem to allow the boat to go anywhere. But when we place ourselves into God's hands, when we release the stuff that we hold on to, like pulling the anchor up and saying, okay, Lord, here we go. And who knows what the water's going to be like between where you sat and the shore. It could be choppy, it could be beautiful. You could end up in an entirely different place on the coast from the place you thought you were going to be. But when we put ourselves into God's hands and we pull ourselves to the shore... We pull ourselves into God's presence. And sometimes in his mercy, God does the most incredible, incredible things. We've already seen an evil spirit being dealt with. So God sometimes will work incredibly, miraculously, powerfully in the spiritual realm so that we can see that. Sometimes he'll work incredibly powerfully in the physical realm. Suddenly, verse 26, there was a violent earthquake as they sang praise and hymns to God. The foundations of the prison were shaken. Every prison door was flown open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer wanted to kill himself because he thought, I'm done. I might as well kill myself because my bosses will kill me if everybody's escaped. Sometimes God does the most amazing things. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't appear to work in the way that we hope and ask him to. Lovely story of a, a Jew at the Wailing Wall, at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. If you don't know, it's literally a big wall where, where people of, of, of Jewish faith will go and they will face that wall and they will cry out to God. And there's a story of a, a tourist observing this scene of a devout Jew kneeling, rocking backwards and forwards, crying out to God, beating his breast, sometimes just raising his hands, fervently praying. And when he finishes, the tourist comes up to him, cheeky monkey, and says, what are you praying for? And the Jewish man responds, I pray for righteousness. I pray for the health of my family. I pray for peace in the world, especially here in Jerusalem. And the tourist says, are those prayers effective? And the man replies, it's like talking to a wall. Sometimes it feels like that. Just like talking to a wall. 
doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. And that's where I think that song just, just asks a very helpful question. And we need to remember that this world is not our final resting place. This world is not our home. And actually we are involved and engaged in something much bigger. Something that is eternal. And we need to know that God holds us. And that when we pray, he hears us and delights that we're pulling towards him and putting ourselves into his company and his care. And sometimes we will not know the result of our prayers. But we need to know that God hears and God holds and God helps. So if we hold those kind of two realities in our hands, sometimes God works in the most incredible ways like we see in the passage. Sometimes he doesn't. What can we do? guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian who ultimately was martyred, was killed by the Nazis because he stood up for his faith. But before he died, he spoke of the need to balance our prayer with our activity. You see, prayer is not a removal from reality but it's putting our lives into God's hands. And sometimes we, maybe often we, have a part to play in the answers to our prayers. Because God has put us here to be actively involved in our lives. And so we need to get that balance between praying and being active. Praying and thinking, well, what could I be doing? to maybe move that forward. It's not about forcing the issue, but about being ready to take a step forward and say, Lord, is this right? What, sh- what I should do, is this it? We can lose that balance, I think. Sometimes we can just sit on our hands and think, well, we'll pray about it. And kind of think, well, I hope that nothing will happen about it, but we'll pray about it. And sometimes we can be so activist that actually we just forge on in and just do it. Boof. And wonder why it all goes pear-shaped. We need a balance. But it did make me wonder whether the slightly strange bit in, uh, in this passage was about Paul trying to balance prayer with activism. You see, they get miraculously released from prison. The jailer comes to faith and he and his household come to faith. You'd have thought, yes, fantastic God, that is wonderful. And then Paul, he gets all shirty. Verse 37. He's just been told he can go in peace, but Paul says to the officers, hang on a minute, they beat us publicly. Without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. <gasps> that was the phrase 
that put the fear into the authorities. They threw us into prison and now they want to get rid of us quietly. I kind of thought, you stroppy so-and-so. But then I thought, maybe. Maybe actually Paul needed there to be a principle be applied. Hang on a minute, we are not going to be walked over here. The gospel is not just going to stay quiet and squeak away. You've done something wrong and you need to look and face up to it. And maybe what he was doing there was actually putting into action part of his own prayers about his captors, those that had opposed him, that he needed to stand and say, look, this is not how it should be, people. You need to take responsibility. If you're going to bang me up in prison, then do it the right way. I don't know, but that kind of began to chime in my head as we read through these words. We have totally run out of time. What are we supposed to do then? What, what happens when we pray? We put ourselves into God's presence. We learn to praise him for who he is, not for what he does alone. Although we praise him for what he does. But let's praise him for his presence and not just his presence. Praise him for who he is as well as what he does for us. And as we pray, remember, that God hears us. Sometimes we just need to trust. Other times we need to look and say, yeah, that, that actually is a real answer to prayer. And the thing I'll leave you with is verse 40. Comes back to Lydia's house. After all that stuff has gone on, Paul and Silas came out of prison. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. They said, God did this. God has been at work in that situation. I've known God's presence. You'll never believe what happened in there. We need to acknowledge God's activity and God's work and, and, and tell others, encourage them. Maybe the book, I don't know where's, where it's gone, the Ronnie Haber book, full of encouragements. I know somebody bought a copy. I don't know if they've had a chance to have a, a read of any of it yet. Have you started having a read? Really good. Some real encouragements? Yeah. So maybe it is about reading a, a book like a guy uh, called Ronnie Haber. He's, he's been locally and spoken before and he's known to a number of folk. Go and listen to, 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 to what that's what's going on by, by reading. Come and meet with Dave and Jenny Muse. A couple of weeks' time. Lovely, ordinary people. Seeing God at work. Listen to one another, though. Hear what's going on. Be encouraged. Life can be tough. But God is here. God is with us. And we need to seek his kingdom first. Put ourselves in his hands and trust him with this week.